thinks and finds us in the middle of our mess and really where we most of the time are. <laughs> Thank you that your grace and your mercy are promised to be new every day and that you don't withhold it from us. It's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on who we are or what we've done or, or how we've performed this last week or these last few days. You just spread your grace on us. We're thankful for that. Thank you for the fact that because of the grace of God, we can be made right and in relationship or given relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I know that in a crowd that's this size, that there are folks that have not experienced your grace yet. I pray, pray that they would run into that this morning. I know there's some here who have a relationship with you, but it's been really rough lately and they're struggling. And God, would you by your spirit touch their hearts and minister to them and meet their needs this morning. And then for some, Father, we're, we've been encouraged in our faith and your grace stimulates us and, and pushes us to take the next steps to follow and say yes and allow your spirit to use us. And we pray that that would happen in our hearts this morning. It is our prayer and my desire, God, that folks would see you and only you this morning, that Christ would be preeminent, would be first place. We pray that your spirit could touch our hearts and speak to us from your word. In your precious name we pray, amen. Thanks, you can have a seat. If you were with us last week, Pastor Mike uh, did a great job of sharing First Thessalonians with us and talking to us about... Um, the main point really of 1 Thessalonians, and I want to use that to start into 2 Thessalonians this morning. And he used 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, the beginning part, which is the main point or God's will. This is God's will for us, your sanctification. And if you're a Christ follower, then God uses everything that happens in our life. He uses uh, all of the events of our, our family, our our circumstances, whatever it is that's going on from the truth of the Word of God to, to whatever aspect of our life to continue to mold us and make us into the image of His Son. And that's what sanctification is, right? It's becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote to these believers and he said, this is the will of God, this is the point, this is the main point, is that you would continue to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And then Pastor Mike did a great job of talking about the things that could hold us back from that. Well, Paul quickly writes a second letter because this group of people were in a really difficult place. And as I was thinking about persecution that happened for first Th the people of 1 Thessalonica and the people, in, as he wrote 2 Thess Thessalonians, I got thinking about events that would be similar or that would be that large of a scale that would cause believers to begin to question things about God because that's what was going on in this little church is they were beginning to question things about God that Paul had taught them. And my mind went back, because I'm a history buff, and so my mind went back to uh, 1940. I wasn't alive, by the way. Um, just what I've learned, what I've read. I, I wasn't around uh, in 1940. But I was thinking about in March, April, and May of 1940, 
the German army had pushed the Allies pretty much out of Europe. They, they had done something called Blitz Warfare, which was brand new in the Second World War. And their armored divisions had, had just hurried down through Europe and down through Belgium and into France. And they went through parts of France that nobody thought that they would be able to break through ever. And they just, just ran over all of the Allied forces, and they, they just cruised down through, and they had before them the opportunity to really push the Allied forces completely out of mainland Europe, and they were just, they were just bulldozing over everyone, and you hit May 27th of 1940, and the Allied forces, about 340,000 men were backed up onto just a small part of Europe. That was it. And if you saw lately in the last year or so, we, the movie Dun, Dunkirk came out. And that's where they got pushed. Is they, and, and the German forces were coming along. They were just pushing them. And the idea is that they would wipe them out. That was their, that was their goal. And there was all kinds of factors that, that caused the German army to stall and stop. And it gave a five-day or six-day reprieve. It was between the 27th of May and then it all kind of wrapped up on June 4th, but the British people made an incredible effort between the military and civilian boats and ships and small craft, and, and in those, that short period of time, those few days, they rescued 340,000 men off the beaches. They lost a lot of men in the, in the process of doing that, but 100,000 were captured in that short period of time, and some of those were killed, some were captured and became prisoner of war, but 340,000 men were rushed off the beaches and taken back to Great Britain. And the people of Great Britain and those who were part of the Allied forces at that point were demoralized. They were, it's over, this, we are done. And somebody within the Parliament of Great Britain stood up, and you'll remember this if any of you are history buffs, right? Winston Churchill stood up and began to make speeches and say things that nobody else really was saying at the time. And he was saying, we'll, we will fight to the last man. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight. We will not surrender. We will not give up. There is no way that we are allowing Hitler and, and Germany to take over and put everybody under submission. We're not going to do it. But the majority of the German, I mean, of the British parliament were saying, we need to surrender. We need to give up. It's all over. There's no hope. We're done. And from June until September, Hitler began to devise a plan of how he would make it so that the British people would lose all hope. And so he began to bomb Great Britain. And over the summer, it was kind of a medium bombing. It was kind of some, some you know, strategic, some air airstrips, some military depots, some of that kind of stuff. But on September 7th of 1940, Hitler decided that the way to do this is just to completely demoralize the people. And so for 57 consecutive days, the Germans bombed the city of London nonstop, every night, every night, 57 days in a row, just, just continued to bomb the city. 
And the goal was we will demoral. They're, they're not going to surrender, which is what Hitler thought they would do. They would, they would figure there's no hope. And, we're, and, and Winston Churchill kept rallying them and saying, no, we're not going to give up. We're not going to give up. And so he says, 57 days of bombing and we will have them demoralized. And so that's what they did. And there was a few voices. It wasn't just Winston Churchill, but he was the main one. A few voices who kept standing up in the middle of people dying, civilians dying, family members being ripped apart, family homes being lost, it just complete destruction. And he kept standing up, Winston Churchill, and saying, don't give up. Don't give in. Don't stop. Keep going. There is hope. There is a chance. And if you read history, you'll find that the, that the, the royal air force of the day, it was combined with some other international folks, but they just kept going, taken to the skies, taken to the skies, taken to the skies. And at the end of those 57 days, the air force had basically gutted the German air force and the German production couldn't keep up anymore. They couldn't produce enough aircraft and bombers to keep bombing Great Britain. And so at the end of the 57 days, they had to kind of change their plan and do something different. And Winston Churchill kept saying, keep going. Don't give up. Don't stop. Now, you might be sitting there this morning saying, okay, Pastor Tim, that's great that you're giving me all this history. But why? This is 2 Thessalonians. They, they were long gone. Paul and Silas and Timothy wrote the book of 2 Thessalonians together. They were together. And if you read the book, you realize very quickly that they're Winston Churchill. And they're talking to the people of this church and they're saying, don't stop. Don't give up. I know it's really hard. I know this is difficult. Don't stop. Don't give up. And as you read the book of 2 Thessalonians, those authors are saying the same thing to the church today as they were saying back then. And as Winston Churchill was saying to the people of Great Britain, I know this can be difficult. I know this is really hard. I know it looks like there's no end in sight. I know that there looks like there's no hope. I know it looks like if I did this, if I surrendered, if I just gave up, it would be so much easier don't give up. Don't stop. Don't give in. And so in the next few minutes, as we look at a couple of passages from this book, there's four observations I want to make that Paul and Silas and Timothy made to this group of people in this, this small church in this little town. And I want, I want them to be for us this morning as well as the same way they were for this church in, in Thessalonians. In, the, in Thessalonica. Let me start with observation number one. And Paul starts out at the beginning of this book with, a, with an, a, a little letter of encouragement to these people. If you have your Bible, it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says this, We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith, faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all of the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. 
It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you are also suffering. Paul looks at these people and he says, look, I've heard about what's going on in the church. I see what's happening. Remember, this is a young body of believers and, and Paul's not very far removed from them actually just coming to faith. Some believe it's only been five months or something like that. It could be a year or a year and a half, but it, it's not a long time. And these people have been introduced to the love of Jesus Christ and they've accepted Christ as the payment for their sin and, and they've turned from, some of them from Judaism, some from a pagan understanding of, God, of gods, plural, and they've accepted the God and they've accepted what Christ has done on the cross. And Paul is looking at them and he's saying, look, the Holy Spirit is already changing you and it's evident by your lives. I can see the love that you have for one another. I can see the love that you have for the people around you. I can see that your life is being changed by the Spirit of God. I can see the evidence and not only can I see it, but I'm, I'm going around to other churches and I'm telling them, look at the people in Thessalonica, their lives are changed. Woo! Get excited, people. Paul was. He said, I see the confession of your faith and I see the change in you. Hey, folks, Pastor Mike and I talk about this all the time. We talk about you guys. And often we talk about you guys and we say, have you seen the difference that's been made in these folks' lives? We've been here 18 years. Some of you have come to faith in those 18 years that we've been here. We're doing a baptism next week. There'll be... 10 people that get baptized. But that We've done baptisms almost every summer. We've seen some of you give your hearts to Christ. We've seen some of you who, have, who, who were believers before, but you've grabbed the word of God and, and you've, you've started ingesting the word of God into your being and it's changed who you are. It's changed how you live life. We've seen family units completely changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've see, seen people grow up in their faith and become mature, and become leaders in this church, in this body. We've seen God take people from this body, and they're now leading in other churches, other places. And, and Mike and I look, and we say, see, the love of God is at work in our body, and people are changing. They're becoming more like Jesus Christ. And, and with, when we're with other pastors, we say, hey, it's awesome to see the work that God, God is doing in this body, in Mossbrook Church. Uh, Mike and, and Melody and, and Pam and I sat with some people from the FEC, uh, the, the president of the FEC a couple of weeks ago, and in our, we had a meal together, and we were sitting at the, at the table, and he's asking how it went over the last year, year and a half, and we said, you know what? Yeah, it's been a strange year, and there's been difficult things going on, but our body, the people in our body, there's, there's all kinds of people who are maturing in their faith, and they're growing up into Jesus Christ, and they're stepping into positions of leadership, and they're taking off. They're allowing the Spirit of God to say yes. It's the same thing thing that Paul was doing with these people. I feel the same way as Paul often when I look at this body of believers. You're doing great. Keep going. Keep maturing in your faith. Don't give up. Show the love of Jesus Christ to those people around you. Allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart and your life and make you more like the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, you can do it. Keep going. That's what Paul was doing to this group of believers. That's what we do to this body of believers. That's what faith is about. It's living that out. And then in chapter 2, he says it this way. He says, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. 
Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel so that you might obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold the traditions you were taught, whether by what we said or by what we wrote. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work in and in the word. Paul looks at these people in chapter 2 and he says, Look, be encouraged. Take the word that we gave you, that we spoke to you orally, but the letters that we've written to you, and be encouraged that God is alive, that God is real, that he's working in your heart, that he's changing you. And we can say the same thing to you today. That message has not changed. Folks, take the word of God. Allow the Spirit of God to take the truths of the Word of God and plant them deep in your heart and be encouraged that the God of peace will provide what you need. And that was Paul's encouragement to this group of people who were under persecution. They were losing their life. They were losing their jobs. Their families were being ripped apart. And Paul's coming to them and he's saying, Take heart! Take heart! The God who saved you will keep you. Take heart. Can I say that to you this morning? The God who saved you will keep you. Take heart. Take heart. Don't give up. Now, when Paul gives an encouragement like that, if you know anything about Paul, you know that there's probably a little confrontation coming with it, right? It's the nature of Paul. And that's true. That's what happened. Paul encouraged the church that he saw change that was happening. It's kind of like Winston Churchill standing before the parliament at those days and saying, take heart, don't give up, don't give in. But in the middle of that, there's all, all, often a little bit of confrontation that has to happen where we have to be encouraged to take the next right step, right? And that happens in our lives too. And Winston Churchill had to do that with the people, with the parliament, and say, look, we can't just be encouraged to keep going. We've got to take the next hard step, which actually ended up being D-Day, by the way, the next hard step that we've got to take. And Paul does the same thing with the believers here in this church. If you looked at chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, I mean chapter 3, verses 6 to 14, it says it this way. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. Now let me stop and explain what this is about. There was a group of people who had come into the church after Paul left and started teaching that the day of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord, was already taking place. And because it was already taking place, you might as well just wait till he takes you out of here. You don't need to do anything. Well, a lot of these believers took that to heart and said, well, if that's really true, then we're done. <laughs> we're not going to work anymore. We're not doing anything. And there is tradition that tells us in history that some of them went up and sat on the top of the roof because they, had, they, had, they sat on the roofs of their houses, kind of unlike us. We, don't, we sit on our back porch. But they sat on the roofs of their houses, and they just waited. 
And they wanted other people to look after them, to feed them, to provide for them, to give them whatever it was that they needed. And so Paul heard about this and he said, hold it, stop. That's not what you were taught. I know there's been people telling you something, but it's not true. And let me fix that. Let me help you with that. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anybody's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and we toiled and we worked night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right for support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, Anybody ever heard this before? He should not, what is it? Eat. If he's not willing to work, he's not, he shouldn't eat. Boy, that would change a lot of attitudes. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Not an interesting thing. Both of those terms that he uses, by the way, go back to Proverbs. And he says about the sluggard shouldn't eat, the one who doesn't work. The one who's not willing to put toil in, that toil, that labor provides the food that they need. He also says this back in Proverbs, that idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? That's my paraphrase, by the way. But that's where the devil takes and he gets us busy doing things we shouldn't be part of because we're not busy doing what we should be doing. Some are busybodies. Now, we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and to provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instructions in this letter, take note of that person and don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Whoa! So Paul does this encouragement and then he goes, but there was a problem and let me face it head on. Some of you are off track. Some of you have lost the mission. Can I say something, church? Some of us in the church over the last little while, because there's been a pandemic, I don't know if you're aware of that, there's been some odd things that have gone over the last year and a half. But that has become an excuse for us to stop the mission of Jesus Christ, and that's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's the same thing Paul's saying to this group of people. Hey, I know you were told something and it wasn't right. And the same thing can be said today. The mission of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, folks dying and going to hell and needing a savior has not changed. The mission is still the same. And so where Paul looks at these folks and says, look, I know somebody showed up and taught you something that was not right, but let's get it corrected here. It doesn't mean we're going to live that way anymore. It means that we need to stick with the mission. We need to stay true to what it is that Jesus Christ asks us to do. Folks, the same is true for the church of Jesus Christ today. Let's not lose sight of the mission. Let's not lose sight of what it is that God has asked us to do. And that is that your friends, your neighbors, your family members still need Jesus Christ just as much as they did two years ago. And some of them are at a point where they're actually ready to hear it now. What they've experienced over the last little while, the loneliness, the separation, the confusion, the isolation, they're at a point where they're like, man, 
I need hope. I need truth. I need help. And so Paul looks at this group of believers and he says, look, I'm not mad at you. Remember, I just encouraged, I just said, way to go. You're growing, but don't get sidetracked. Don't get pulled away. And so Paul does what he does so well. He tells them, look, I'm encouraging you, but I want you to know that there's a little problem. And then I want to tell you just a little bit of how you might deal with that problem. I want to help you to understand that it's, it's, this isn't the end. And just because you ran into something that was a difficulty doesn't mean you need to give up. It doesn't mean that you were wrong necessarily. It means that you just need to correct what you're doing. You need to make some changes in your life. And folks, that happens to us, doesn't it, as believers? We're going along and we're doing okay. And all of a sudden we see that we've gotten sidetracked. We've gotten sucked off course. We've gotten distracted by life. We've gotten distracted by life events. And we just need a course correction. We need to be brought back. God's asking us by his spirit to do that. Hey, remember, serve. (laughs) Don't stop serving people. Hey, remember, love those that are around you that you may not agree with, but love them anyway. Care for them. Hey, there's people who are lost and without hope who are looking for it. Would you, would you share the truth of Jesus with them? Would you tell them how you found hope? Would you tell them the difference that Jesus made in your life? Would you tell them what you've done over the last little while to be encouraged? What your faith has done in your life? That's what Paul's reminding these people. And then Paul says, look, if you really want to do it, here's the way you start. You pray for each other. You're not going to be able to do it alone. (laughs) You're not going to make it. You're going to give up. You're going to get discouraged. And so pray for one another. Encourage one another with your prayer for one another. And in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5, he says it this way. He says, in addition, brothers and sisters, pray for us. He includes Paul himself and Silas and Timothy, the leaders, and he says, this isn't just about you guys getting discouraged and getting distracted. Pray for us. And I would say that. Pray, pray for your leaders. Pray for Pastor Mike. Pray for me. Pray for your elders. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. I love the prayer here. His prayer isn't pray that we'd be great at what we do. No. He's like, Pray that the mission would stay the mission. That's his prayer. He says, look, would you pray for one another and pray for us that the word of God would spread rapidly? Would you pray for us as your leaders that the word of God would spread in the Oxford Hills and that God's name would be honored? Would you pray that? That's what Paul's asking. He says that the word that the, Lord, the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for they don't have faith at all. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we commanded. May the, the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and to Christ's endurance. This is the prayer of Paul for this group of people. His prayer is, look, 
Would you pray for us and we'll pray for you that the love of God that showed up in your heart and life and that you were giving away, the church grew because they, they ran into the love of Christ and they couldn't contain it and so they gave it to their friends and their neighbors and they came to faith and the church grew. That's what happened at Mossberg Church. But often it grows and then we get stagnant and we stop and we don't do it anymore. And Paul looks at him and he says, look, in the middle of the persecution, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the hardships, don't stop. Keep giving away the love of Christ. And he ends that by saying this, that, that, that the love that changed your heart would endure and continue in you. Hey, believer, has the love of Jesus Christ continued in your heart? Or did you get it and you're like, phew, huh, phew, I relax now. I got it. Got it figured out. Paul says, no, no, that the change that happened in you would continue and it would produce fruit in the middle of your difficulty. It's what Winston Churchill with the, the folks in Great Britain, it's what he did. He said, look, we've done great to get to this point. We saved 340,000 men. But we got to continue. The job is not done yet. And we will fight and we will not surrender. We will keep going. It's the same call that Paul is giving to this group of people. He says, look, yeah, you've confronted some difficulties. Yes, it's been hard. Endure. Keep going. Don't give up. And my prayer for you is that the love of Jesus Christ that was in your heart would overflow and everybody would see it. Keep going. And Paul finishes this section, and I'm done because the book's done. With an encouragement, because that's Paul. He started with an encouragement, and he ends with one. Chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, he says this. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with all of you. And then he says, I, Paul, am writing this, and he tells that, hey, it was my own hand, and I struggled, but I was writing it. But I love this because Paul starts with encouragement. Look, I see the growth. I see the love of Jesus Christ. Hey, there's a problem. Deal with the problem. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. But keep going because the peace of God will show up in your hearts and your life and the peace of God will change you. And I love how he words it. He says this, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Now, let me stop for a minute here. Because this encouragement, we could look at it and say, oh, oh, that I would have the peace and the security of God because I want freedom. I don't want to deal with any of this. Anybody got to the point where they're like, I don't want to deal with any of this stuff anymore. Yeah, we're all there. That's not what that means. What that, that blessing, that encouragement that Paul gives is this, that in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of not seeing your way clear, not knowing where this is going, in the midst of being somewhat confused or a lot confused, God's peace will show up in the middle of it. He's not saying God will reach down and lift me out of it. He's saying God's peace will show up in the middle of it. And that's his encouragement to this group of people. Because if you keep reading about that church and about those churches, the persecution didn't end. And they kept growing in their faith. The same way with World War II. 
World War II didn't end for a number more years, right? There was a lot more hard work that had to happen. There was a lot more people that had to be engaged and involved. The same is true for our church. We're not done. You grew in your faith. You're growing in your faith. You've matured in your faith. We've ran into some difficulties. We've run up against some things that are really difficult. Don't give up. Don't stop. Stick to the love that saved and kept you. Pray for one another that you'd keep on keeping on, that you'd give away the life and the truth that you have in Jesus Christ. And believers, may the peace of God and the God of peace Sprinkle that peace. Give that peace. Put that peace in your and my heart. Father, grant us, the, grant us the courage to live out the faith that you are producing in us. Help us to share the love and the truth of Jesus Christ with the folks around us. Help us to be the encouragement. Help us to pray for one another, to lift one another up, but help us to stick with the mission, the main thing, and that is God sanctifying us and making us and forming us in the into the image of Jesus Christ himself. Use us as a body of believers to show the folks around us the truth of who Jesus is. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us as we close with this song? We need you, Lord, every hour of every day, every minute, we need you. We love you. Thank you. Help us to keep the faith. Help us to grow together in your grace, your amazing grace, your unending grace. Help us to cling to you always. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Have an awesome week.